If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn into Hebrews chapter 13. The passage that we'll consider is Hebrews 13, 17 to 25. And we come to the end of this letter that we've been looking at since last October. 30 messages, it turned out to be. And this whole letter has been about the greatness of Jesus Christ and why that makes a difference in your life and why, in context, these weary and wavering Christians who are wondering whether it's really worth it to keep going along with Jesus and following Him, uh, this letter was written to strengthen them, to encourage them. Look at the glory of Christ and think about what you have in Him, and that will get you through. So that's what this letter's been about. Now we're in the last chapter, which is application. So what does your life look like? What are you going to do differently as a result of these great truths? And so we've been working through that, and now we're at the very last set of exhortations about how to live in light of the greatness of Christ. So we're going to read verses 17 to the end, and then I'll ask for the Lord to bless preaching His Word. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you all the more earnestly to do this, in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Let's pray. We uh, gather today, Lord, under your grace, your favor to sinners who deserve only your judgment. But we need to see it again. We need to see Christ. We need to see the glory that you have called us into and be refreshed again by truths that we don't see but are real. They're heavenly. They're eternal. They matter. So, Lord, fill us up again this morning by the work of your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> in studying Scripture, it's helpful to ask the question, what would be missing if this passage wasn't in the Bible? I find that to be a clarifying thing to do. Because every sentence, every word in the Bible is there by God's divine purpose. Nothing is random in the scriptures. If something is written there, then it's necessary to get the full picture of what our Creator wants to communicate about Himself and about us. So what would be missing in the letter of Hebrews in particular 
if the letter ended before this passage? Well, one subject that stands out is church leadership. Leadership. It begins with the exhortation in 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them. It ends with a request in verse 24, Greet all your leaders. And throughout these closing passages, we see leadership on display. This writer who is known to these believers, who used to be a part of their fellowship, is now communicating back to them all these pastoral concerns and doctrinal realities, and he's shepherding them sort of remotely, you might say. So he's also showing us what leadership looks like. So it seems at the end of Hebrews which was written to help these weary and wavering Christians to persevere in the faith, we have a reminder that leaders are necessary. If we're going to make it to the finish line, it isn't going to be on our own. We need the church, and the church needs to have leaders that will lead us to Christ, this great Christ that we've been reading about. The primary leaders in mind here are pastors because they're described in verse 17 as keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. That's what pastors do, according to Acts 20.28. Paul told the elders or the pastors of the church of Ephesus, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which you obtained. With his own blood. So, pastors pay careful attention to, we watch over the souls of those people that God has called to himself. Um, we're called shepherds. This is his flock. And we're accountable to the chief shepherd for how we do that. We are watchers. So, the letter to the Hebrews ends with a reminder about the place of church leadership, particularly pastoral leadership in helping each one of us to run with endurance the race that is set before us, as Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 talked about. Part of what will get us to the finish line is to follow your leaders who lead you to Christ. So let's look and see how this works out in real life. How does it work out here? The Sovereign Grace Church. We can divide this passage into two main themes. Leadership followed and leadership demonstrated. We'll start with leadership followed. I'm using the word follow because we have the word leader here. A leader is leading somebody, and somebody's following leadership. So what does it look like to follow leadership? What does it look like to follow pastoral leadership? And as we go through this, I'm aware <laughs> this is somewhat self-serving. <laughs> because I'm one of the pastors along with Dan and Todd of this church. And so, like, we're talking about how you should respond to us. Um, but I can teach this with a clear conscience because this is God's agenda, not mine. I didn't put this at the end of Hebrews. He did. Okay? <laughs> so, so the principles hold for every church regardless of who holds the office of pastor. So we're going to deal with that uh, with that understanding. There's two ways to follow church leadership that are in this text. The first one is verse 17. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them. In other words, do what your leaders ask of you. Don't resist them. Or maybe I could say it another way. Just don't make their job harder than it needs to be. <laughs> 
it needs to be said up front, this is not unqualified obedience to do anything that your pastor tells you to do, even if it was sinful or harmful. After all, this leadership, pastoral leadership in particular, is supposed to be on behalf of Christ, and Christ will never lead us into sin. He will never ask us or force us to do something that is contrary to God's will and harmful to our souls. So stealing your money, sexual abuse, manipulation, other forms of wickedness, those are ruled out completely. You don't obey or submit to those things. But nevertheless, the words obey and submit are used here. Pastors are going to ask you to do things. They're going to make decisions that affect you. And sometimes you're not going to like those decisions or want to do what they're asking. This text says, but obey and submit anyway. Now, I doubt that the words obey and submit are our favorite words uh, with response to leadership. <laughs> Even when leaders are not asking us to sin, we might still have a hard time going along with what they're asking us to do. And I can think of a couple reasons for why that is. Probably the most fundamental one is it's the sin in our own hearts. The first sin ever committed was a refusal to obey and to submit to God's authority. God's leadership. In the Garden of Eden, he told Adam and Eve, here's what I want you to do. They said, no, I think I'll do something else. They didn't obey. They didn't submit. Every sin since then is just some version of their rebellion against God. God created the world. He has the design for every person in it, and we're accountable to Him to live in the way He intended. That way is good for us, but we don't obey. We don't submit. We go our own way. Isaiah 53, 6 says about us, we have turned everyone to his own way. That's fundamentally the problem in the, the hearts of mankind. There's rebellion in our hearts against our Creator and against His rules and what He wants for us. We just don't like to obey, to submit to somebody else. Now that changes when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, when you receive Christ as Savior and He puts His Holy Spirit within you. A renovation starts to happen in your life where now you delight to do the Father's will. And obedience becomes beautiful to you. Still hard. We're still wrestling with it. We don't do it all the time. But now our hearts want to. And so a renovation happens when we become affected by Christ and by His gospel and receive the Spirit. But if we still have trouble, even in that condition, obeying God who is perfect, then how much harder it is to obey imperfect human leaders. Right? That is the fundamental issue that we have there. There's another reason we might not like the idea of obeying and submitting to leaders. It's because of bad leaders. Bad examples. Especially if they're Christian leaders. And we all know, if you read any kind of news at all, that there's high-profile pastors who have had to resign because of sexual misconduct, stealing money, um, harsh and abusive leadership, all sorts of reasons that, that, that heroes fall, Christian leaders fall. And so that can make us wary of trusting any kind of leadership, including church leadership. 
And yet we have this command, obey, submit to your leaders who keep watch over your souls. They're imperfect people, but if they meet the qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy 3, if they're above reproach, if they are able to teach, if they're not lovers of money, if they're a husband of one wife, all those things, if they meet those qualifications, they're not asking you to sin, they're not doing you harm, if it's a judgment call, then do what they say. <laughs> That's all this is trying to say. Trust their leadership. That's the charge here. We all felt the tension during the pandemic, right? So are we going to defy the order not to meet in person, or are we going to meet? Are we going to spread the seats six feet apart or not? Are we going to require masks? Are we going to keep Zoom as an option once the restrictions lift? We had to make all those decisions as pastors. They affected the church. Some you agreed with. Some you didn't agree with. <laughs> we get it. <laughs> we totally get it. It wasn't easy for anybody. But what's our posture as church members? It's a judgment call. If it's a judgment call, if it's not sinful, then just do what the pastors ask. They're keeping watch over your souls. They're making these decisions because they think this is the best way that we know how to care for your souls. So it might not work, but let's go along with it. That's this is asking us to do. Now, there's a motivation in the text. Here's why we do it. The second half of verse 17 gives the motivation. It says, let them do this. That is, let them keep watch over your souls with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Another translation says, because that would not do you any good. <laughs> In other words, the best thing for your own spiritual health is to have joyful pastors, not groaning pastors. And you can make a pastor's job a joy... <laughs> And you can make a pastor groan by how you respond to his leadership. If you make it difficult, it will not do you any good. Now, how do you make a pastor's job a joy? Well, John the Apostle said in his first letter, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. He was speaking about his spiritual children. Paul said to the Philippian church, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What makes a pastor's job a joy is to see you walking in the truths of the scriptures, to see you relating to one another in unity and in love and going in the same direction towards Christ Nothing encourages a pastor more than to see Christ being formed in you. It's all that we want to do. It's what we're called to do. So if you're less anxious and more full of faith for the future, joy. <laughs> if you're growing in your affection for Jesus, if you're unashamed of the gospel around non-believers, if you're eager to be with fellow believers on a Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, if you're building each other up with your gifts, those things give us joy. That gives us fresh energy to keep watch over your souls.
and you want that. We serve you better in that condition. The opposite's also true. It makes a pastor groan when after exerting our efforts week by week, the result seems to be not that. The biblical counsel is not heeded. Meetings for your growth are not attended. Secular media seems to be shaping your mind more than Christ. There's no eager commitment to the body of Christ. These and other things make a pastor groan. It makes him put his head in his hands and wonder, can I preach one more sermon? Can I have one more meeting? Can I send one more email? And that is not a good situation for the church. That will not do you any good. Now, in case you're wondering, I don't have any particular person or situation in mind <laughs> when I'm saying that. So I'm not trying to drop any subtle hints here. Uh, you're like, you know what I'm talking about. No. <laughs> My main experience, our main experience as pastors is joy in this church. You make it a joy. That's our main experience, so I want you to know that. But there are our moments. We do have our moments where we put our heads in our hands and audibly groan. <laughs> it's to your advantage to keep the groaning moments to a minimum <laughs> by responding to God's word and to the leadership of your pastors as we are trying to lead you to Christ. That's what we're hopefully trying to do. I know we're trying to do it. Joyful pastors are good for you. So the first way that we, we follow leadership, obey and submit to those things that are worthy to obey and submit to. The second way is to pray. Pray for your leaders. The writer says, pray for us. Now, this writer is not one of their current local leaders because in verse 19, his desire is to be restored to you the sooner, meaning he was with them. He's not there now. But he's certainly functioning like a leader in a remote way like Paul would have done with any of his letters. This letter is very pastoral in nature. Verse 22, he appeals to them to bear with my word of exhortation, a word of exhortation, is a message or a sermon. And bear with my word means take it to heart, put it into practice. He's functioning like a church leader. He is giving spiritual leadership here. So when he asks, pray for us, it's instructive as an important way in which we follow church leadership. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our pastors. Why? Because we really need it. <laughs> because prayer really does change things. In verse 19, the writer urged them to pray the more earnestly, because if they did, he believed he would be restored to them the sooner. Prayer moves up timetables. Prayer removes obstacles. Prayer does what pastors cannot do in their own strength. Because prayer moves the hand of God who is able to do all things. 
Prayer broke Peter out of prison miraculously in Acts chapter 12. You've read that story. He had been arrested. He had been thrown in prison. He was scheduled to be executed the next day. But then there's this sentence in Acts 12.5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. I love that. <laughs> we need that. That is so beautiful and so necessary and so effective. So do not think it's a small thing to us when you say, you know, I was praying for you, Pastor. Oh, man, thank you. <laughs> we need it. We absolutely need it. If pastoral ministry has shown me anything, it's how weak um, I really am, how weak we are. We're just men. Uh, we totally relate to John the Baptist. I am not the Christ, he said. I'm nobody's Savior. I can't handle all the things that are coming at me. Only Jesus can do that. So pray for me. Pray for us. We don't have the stamina. We don't have the wisdom. We don't have the time. We, you know, all of these things. Only God can do what God wants done. And so pray that he'll do it through us. We absolutely have to have it. And we need that if we're going to be advantage to you. <laughs> we need your prayers so that we can be of advantage to you and help you in this race of the Christian life. It's a great gift to be prayed for because that means you're on somebody's heart. And they care enough about your circumstances to approach the mighty hand and ask for him to move. That is love. That gives us joy. Thank you. Thank you. I know many of you pray for us. So what does it look like to follow church leadership? It's obey your leaders and submit to them. It's praying for them. Now let's look at leadership demonstrated. Because this, this writer is a good leader. This writer is a spiritual leader. This writer is an example for us. The way he closes this letter shows us what good spiritual leadership consists of. Um, there are things here that a struggling believer needs to be reminded of, needs to be led in, needs pastors to tell them. So there are three things here. There's a benediction, there's an appeal, and there's a parting word. And each of them shows us what we need in order to persevere in following Christ. Let's take them in turn. First, the benediction. <clears throat> now, a benediction is a prayer of blessing over a person or over a group. So you think about Aaron in the Old Testament with his hands stretched out over Israel and toward heaven. And he says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. That's a benediction. It communicates the deep wishes of the one praying for the people he's praying for. If I could have my best case scenario for you, if I could sleep well at night knowing this, here's what I pray. That's, that's what a benediction is about. The writer of Hebrews has a benediction for the church in verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, 
working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. If I could put a, a theme in there, it would be encouragement. This paragraph is full of encouragement. This is for weary and wavering believers suffering the trials of life, suffering opposition to their faith and things like that. We need encouragement. The writer starts with this. He says, now may the God of peace. We can stop right there. The God of peace. God is the God of peace. Peace in the scriptures is not just the absence of conflict. It's the presence of God's blessing and favor. It's well-being, it's wholeness, it's completeness, it's prosperity in the fullest sense. It's a life that doesn't lack anything good. That's what peace is. And God is the God of this. God is the source of this. Everything that we want, all those things I described, sound so very good. And God is where we get those things. Now, when you suffer something for following Christ... When you know that you're a stranger and an exile, an outcast, when you face trials of various kinds, it doesn't seem like you have that peace because we equate peace with a feeling in my heart that, that I feel all right. But peace is an objective thing. Peace is a reality that you enter into when you enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You enter the realm of peace, blessing, Favor, true prosperity, hope, comfort. These things are in God, and God says, they're yours. You have peace with me through Jesus Christ. And if you have peace with the God of the universe, if you have his blessing and his favor, then it is good with your soul. <laughs> it is, even if at the moment you're in pain, you're suffering, you're concerned about tomorrow, but God is the God of peace, and he's your God. That's where encouragement starts. That's the root, because that's not dependent on the news going better or not. The news has already happened. Jesus Christ died for our sins. They are atoned for if you believe in him, and you are at peace with God. We have to start there. And that's what starts in this benediction. The God of peace. And, one, and that peace is something that we enter into fully in the resurrection, which is what we're reminded of next in the benediction. God says, or it says, The God of peace brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus by the blood of the eternal covenant. This is the only direct mention of the resurrection in the letter of Hebrews. It's interesting that it comes right here at the end. This is a reminder of the gospel. Jesus died, was buried, and raised to life in an immortal body, never to suffer again. By his death, Jesus ratified a covenant between God and those who trust in him. It's an eternal covenant. It's permanent. It never ends. It's never broken. You don't have to worry about losing this relationship with the God of peace because Jesus has sealed the deal. It's yours. 
And where he went, you will go. God brought him from the dead. God will bring you from the dead. God gave him a new body, an immortal body. You also will get one. And he will bring you safely to that place where he is. That's the good news. That's our path as believers in Christ. Yes, we'll suffer. Yes, we'll die. Nobody escapes this. But the God of Jesus who brought the God of Jesus, the God of peace who brought Jesus from the dead is going to do the same thing for you as a believer. That's a centering and reassuring truth. When life is not going great, when it looks like the trajectory is just more and more hard things as the days go by. I was with one of Shannon's co-workers on Thursday. The three of us went for a hike. And he's not a Christian, but very interested in talking about spiritual things. We are talking about life. We were talking about the state of the world. And he worded our general life situation this way, which I thought was very interesting. He said, it seems like we haven't had a win in a long time. And I don't know when the next one is coming. Well, here's good news. For every believer in Christ, there is a big win in our future. (laughs) The God of peace will bring us from the dead, just as he did the Lord Jesus. It is an appointment on God's calendar. It is going to happen. We don't need to question it. That puts strength into our souls. But the encouragement is not all future, it's also right now, because this Jesus, whom God brought from the dead, is also called the great shepherd of the sheep. The great shepherd of the sheep. The resurrected and living Jesus is actively shepherding shepherding us every day. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, is what David wrote. He is, right now, shepherding, watching over, caring for me. You, in Christ. We have pastors who care for the people of God, but they're just an extension of the great pastor, the great shepherd, who watches over us with incredible wisdom and power, who's orchestrating life in such a way that in the end, at the end of it, we're going to look at it and say, that was genius. <laughs> that was perfect. While we're in the midst of it, it doesn't look that way. But the chief shepherd, the great shepherd, knows. And he doesn't allow anything to enter our lives that isn't part of wisdom and ultimate love. He won't let anything keep us from entering that safe, eternal haven with him. It's guaranteed. He's a good shepherd, the one who lays down his life for the sheep. That gives us strength, knowing that he's on site. (laughs) He's on site. Even what we're doing right now, this is him doing it through us, imperfectly because I'm part of the equation, but this is part of what he's doing right now, here in this room. The The great shepherd is here, shepherding you, and he always is, even when you're not in this room. (laughs) I like an old hymn that, that, that has this sense of, this ongoing being cared for that keeps us from worry. You might, some of you might know this, 
this lyric, day by day and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I've no cause for worry or for fear. Because we have a great shepherd who leads us in green pastures, who makes us lie down, who makes us safe. We have no cause for worry or fear. So the benediction begins with those realities for our encouragement. But then the writer gets to what he asks for the God of peace to do. For believers, which is may the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He asks that we be equipped to do God's will, to, to, to live out the life. That's been a theme of Hebrews. The goal of showing the greatness of Christ is not just to make us feel good, but to make us do good. To enable us to do what pleases God. Christians are not just people who believe things, but people who do things. We love God and neighbor. In acts of mercy, in compassion, in giving, in so many things. And Christ deserves all the glory for that. None of that comes from us. It comes from Him who's changing us, renovating us, making us like Him. We're not just doing random acts of kindness. We're going around doing good to others because God has been good to us. We want Him to get the credit. So the deep desire of the writer's heart, communicated in the benediction, could be summarized this way. Be encouraged in God and Christ so that you can do His will and bring Him glory. <laughs> but it starts with encouragement. It has to start there. But there's more to spiritual leadership than just encouragement. There's also challenge. And we see that in the appeal of verse 22. Here's the appeal. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. The word appeal is the same word used in verse 19 where it's translated urge. It's a strong appeal. I really want you to do this. This really matters. This is a challenge in the positive sense of the word. I want to motivate you to do something that is good for you. And the thing he really wants them to do is bear with my word of exhortation. That means I want you to take seriously everything that I've written in this letter. The word of exhortation is the whole letter of Hebrews. It's the sermon. It's the message. I want you to take it seriously. Take it to heart. Own it. Let this truth equip you to do God's will and then do His will. Actually live out the Christian life from these truths because you can. And as we come to the end of this letter, it, that's our pastoral heart also, Sunday after Sunday. Take it to heart. <laughs> Take God's Word to heart. It's meant to change us and change how we live and to enter us into all sorts of things that we wouldn't otherwise, the experiences of God's blessing. Yeah, we live in a world of troubles. It's hard to be a Christian when few people are. There's a cost to following Christ. That's all true. That's all hard to bear. We wish that was different, but it isn't. But we have a sure hope in Christ. 
God is enough for us. Jesus is a great shepherd. To him belongs glory forever. He's the right person to follow. (laughs) He's the right person to throw in your lot with. We will not regret faithfulness to Christ. And the writer mentions a few names, a few people at the end of here as examples of somebody who's, who's living this way. People who are, who are doing it, who are doing this very thing. They're taking it to heart. Timothy is one example. Our brother Timothy has been released, he says. That means from prison. He was arrested, thrown in prison. He's getting out all for the gospel ministry. But is Timothy throwing in the towel because that happened? No, because he says, with him I shall see you if he comes soon. Timothy and I are going to be joining you. (laughs) We're going to jump right back into church ministry after he gets out of prison. Why? Because Jesus is worth it. You're on the right team. We win in the end. Others are mentioned. He mentions, he greets the leaders. He greets the saints. He mentions co-laborers who come from Italy, probably Rome. They send their greetings. There's people all over the place. You see, this ends with a reminder that God is on the move. God is building his kingdom. He's got people all over the place who are involved in this mission to save people from sin and build the church. So so don't think your local difficulties are the only thing that's going on. They're not. Don't give up on following Christ. The outcome that Jesus died for is happening. He is gathering people from all over the world until the great day of His return. And our own denomination is a demonstration of this. We're planting a church in Italy. (laughs) 2,000 years later, God is still working in Italy. We're connected to pastors and evangelists in Ukraine and Russia right now. We are connected with people in Nepal, Philippines, Liberia, a dozen other countries. The England family who are in Isan, Thailand right now are going to be here in three weeks or four weeks. It's in August. They're reaching an unreached people group. We're connected to that. We have churches all over the United States. See, Jesus will have the prize for which he died from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and his workers are all over the place. Every church is connected to this great endeavor. Every one of us has the same Savior, the same Spirit, the same God of peace who is working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. So let's not give up. We're on the right path. We're on the side that wins in the end. That's the challenge. Bear with. Own this word of exhortation. Let it motivate you to live for Christ and persevere to the end, along with your brothers and sisters all over the world who are doing the same thing. And follow your leaders who lead you to Christ because they are there to help you do it. That's the appeal. That's the challenge at the end of this letter. And then we close with one last thing, which is the parting word, the word that is over the whole letter, the word that's over the whole Christian life. Grace be with all of you. Grace. 
Spiritual leadership starts with encouragement. It moves towards challenge, and then it leaves us with grace. Grace is God's favor to sinners who deserve only judgment. Every believer in Christ exists in the realm of God's undeserved favor. So no matter how today or tomorrow goes, no matter what trials we face, even the victories that we we receive, it's always grace at the end of the day that secures all of our blessings. So like the famous hymn says, "'Twas grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home.'" (laughs) Put that as the banner over Hebrews. It will lead us home. God will get us through, not because we deserve it, but because Christ has purchased it for us by his blood. Let's keep on running to the throne of grace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you don't leave us on our own to do this. Here together in this room, we're experiencing your wisdom in constructing a body. We call it the church. It has leadership. That leadership represents you. You're working in all of that because you love us, because you're a shepherd. And we thank you so much. You haven't left us in this world to figure it out ourselves. You're here on site, and you're doing it perfectly. You're doing it miraculously. Help us, Lord, to just see it, to believe it, to rest in it to lie down in the green pastures you've made for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. Sing about this amazing grace.